Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hey, uh, I I grew up in North Carolina. My parents uh, are pastors, and they planted a church when I was one year old. And so I essentially got to grow up, live, breathe, and sleep on the church chairs at church. Uh, That was my life. And uh, with that, what I was able to see from a very young age is relationship with Jesus. And I'm forever grateful for that. And that's a big reason why I serve the local church with my life. And I serve Jesus uh, with my life, and I'm so grateful for that. I've been in student ministry for five years, and I like to say that that's the most fun job on the face of the planet, okay? I get to see students take their next step uh, in their relationship with Jesus to develop an intimate relationship with God. And so I have to do this. Where are our Gateway students at in the place? Come on. That's just a little bit louder than uh, first service. They were still asleep. Um, But yes, it is such a joy and an honor to serve here as the student pastor, and I also have to do this shamelessly, but uh, Gateway students, next week, summer weekend, uh, and you need to register, okay? I'm going to put that there. Uh, And then also, I've been tasked recently with with the opportunity to help launch our Gateway College, which is our leadership college here. Uh, in which you can get leadership, hands-on, leadership experience, ministry experience, partnered with a degree from Southeastern University. And so if you are interested in your next step, uh, let me know. Ask me questions, okay? Um, But with that, and thinking about just uh, the journey that God has allowed me to walk, I have been privileged to see the fundamentals of the faith lived out before my eyes. And so my aim today and what I feel like God put on my heart for us today is to challenge our faith, but to look at that and the implications of our faith on generations. And so when I reference the next generation today, I want you to know I'm not just talking about like the young gen, okay? I'm not just talking about like junior high, high school. I'm talking about the generation behind the generation that you're in. And so I wanted us to have that, that preface, but before we dive in, I want to pray, and I want us to uh, continue to give this time to the Lord. Uh, so Lord God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. It is such a gift. It is such a joy. It is such a privilege. Would you stir our hearts today, God? Would you challenge our faith? And God, would you just challenge us to impart things into the next generation. We love you, we praise you, we honor you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen and amen. Well, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. And Paul's writing this letter, 2 Timothy, and what uh, the, the letters of First and Second Timothy could be coined as is some of the most personal letters that Paul wrote. And he's writing this to a young man who he's investing in. And he says, hey, I noticed this about you 
that your faith is strong. But it didn't just start with you. It was seen in your grandmother and in your mother. And now I see it in you and how powerful it is for an older generation to call something great out in the younger generation. Amen? Amen. Well, speaking of grandmothers, and I want to preface this. I've titled this message, If I Only Knew. And we'll come back to that in just a bit. But speaking of grandmothers, uh, I love my grandma. I call her Nana specifically. But a couple months ago, she called Ashlyn and I while we were watching sports. Uh, really, she texted me and was like, hey, can you talk? And I was like, oh, are you, are you okay? Yes, I can talk. Uh, and so we paused what we were watching and I, I put it on speaker. And for as long as I can remember, my, my grandma has been a Sunday school teacher. And just for reference, they are from Alabama, my grandparents, uh, in a little town you've never heard of called New Brockton, Alabama. Uh, they serve at a, a church called El Bethel Assembly of God. It's over 100 years old. And my grandpa is actually 75, and I'm pretty sure he's been going there from literally when he was born. And so for as long as I can remember, my grandma's been a Sunday school teacher. And really what she's done is she's stepped in wherever there's been a need. She's gracious uh, like that, and, and she's a servant. And right now... She's tasked with one of the hardest age ranges, young adults, yep. right? Yep. And so she called us and she was like, hey, I wanna talk to you about some ideas. I wanna talk to you about some thoughts. Uh, I'm leading the young adult Sunday school group. Can you help? And so we started talking and for 30 minutes, she just started spouting off ideas. And honestly, during the phone call, what I did is I, I paused it, and I, or I didn't pause it, I muted it, and I looked at Ashlyn, and I was like, this is crazy, right? Nana's talking to me for 30 minutes about how she can impact the young adults in her church. And I say that, and I honestly felt convicted, because why should it surprise me that my grandma wants to invest in the next generation? Why would it surprise me that my grandma would invest in the generations behind her because she's got some life experience, she's got some life under her belt, and she's got something that she's able to share. Yeah. And something I love about our church is that it's multi-generational. Yeah. That we can walk out in the lobby after service, and there's kids running around, and there's some more seasoned adults, we're gonna say seasoned, there's some more seasoned adults, but life is happening, and community is happening. And for Ashlyn and I, when we have kids, not yet, but when we have kids, <laughs> she's saying amen, right? When we have kids, I'm thankful to be able to raise them in a house that believes in the generations. Amen. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are at least six generations present in this room right now. Yeah. And so I thought it'd be fun uh, to do some generational stereotypes. <laughs> and I hope that it brings you as much joy as it did me. <laughs> so let's dive into this, okay? We got the silent generation, okay? And I didn't come up with these names. This is research. Yeah. 
okay? We got the silent generation born 1925 to 1945. You might be in this generation if you constantly have questions about technology and carry hard candies with you wherever you go, <laughs> all right? I know Nana always has a mint when I need it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? On a serious note, you're likely reserved and polite. Then we got the baby boomers, born 1946 to 1964. You might be in this generation if you have an obsession with nostalgia and use phrases like back in the good old days and when I was your age excessively. On a serious note, you're likely hardworking and ambitious, and you know what it means to have some elbow grease, and we need that, all right? Generation X, born 1965 to 1980, you might be in this generation if you're sarcastic by nature, <laughs> yes, and have a bend toward every possible 90s pop culture reference that most of us cannot understand. On a serious note, you're likely independent and self-reliant. And then we got the millennials. Oh, they cheering. Born 1981 to 1996. And I thought about coming up with a stereotype for them, but then I realized they probably were running late to church still. Right? I'm just kidding. Um, but not really. On a serious note, they value work-life balance and happiness, uh, even at the expense of money, right? Really finding their groove. Gen Z, that's, this is the Gateway students. Where are you at? Come on. Gen Z, born 1997 to 2012. You might be in this generation if you have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Your screen time is more than your sleep time. And you wear hoodies in 100 degree weather. Can you make it make sense? Please. Nobody understands. We in Texas, y'all. Come on. I thought we were doing better than that. All right? On a serious note, you're likely tech savvy and have a knack for ingenuity. And then we got Gen Alpha, okay? We went from Gen Z to Gen A. Uh, and honestly, they're born uh, 2013 to 2025, so some of them aren't even born yet, all right? So we don't know much about them. But I think it would be safe to say that they're probably gonna be the first generation that are experts with artificial intelligence, okay? Kind of wild, all right? But all jokes aside, there are six generations present in the room today. Yeah. And I say this to get to the point that overlooking the impact that we could have on the generations behind us would be a grave mistake. Yeah. Because our proximity matters. Yeah. Even the fact that we can come into this room today and we can worship our God with Generation Alpha and the silent generation is such a gift. Wow. It is such a gift. Because I promise you, there's something they're gleaning that you might not even recognize. There's something that they're seeing 
that you might not even recognize. And so what is our posture? How are we to respond? And we can look at the book of Judges. Israel is God's chosen people. And at this specific time, what they were tasked with was to settle the land of Canaan, the promised land. Well, what God had commissioned them to do was to drive out the enemies of the land before they settled it. Well, they failed to drive out the enemies and they actually settled the land and allowed the enemy to settle there too. And this brings a question for us in our life. What's living in the land that God has called us to settle that we need to drive out? Anyways, the book of Judges gets its name from the fact that God would raise up judges or minor rulers to lead the Israelites out of the oppression of the foreign powers. And all throughout the book, they continue this vicious cycle. And what happens, and I'll give you kind of the cycle, but the people do evil in God's sight by worshiping idols. God allows them to be given over in oppression to the foreign powers. The people have a reality check, like we're praying that Gen Z does about their hoodies, right? They have a reality check and realize their need for God. And so they cry out, and God, because he's so merciful and gracious, amen, hears their cry, and he raises up rulers or leaders that rise up and they actually overthrow the foreign powers. And throughout the rest of those leaders' life, Israel worships God. But shortly thereafter, the leader dies, and the vicious cycle Continues. In Judges 2, 10 through 12, it says, after that generation died. And that generation's actually referencing the Joshua generation, when Joshua was leading Israel. Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. And so this brings a question that I want to ask us today. Who's going to tell the next generation of the power, of the miracles, of the workings of our good God? Who is going to tell them? My grandpa, who is the one that I referenced earlier, has been a barber for upwards of 50 years. He owns a, a small barber shop in, uh, right outside of his town. And what I did every summer growing up is I would go work with him. And I would get to spend time with him. And oftentimes we'd go places and he'd get caught up because I promise you he knows half of Alabama. And I'd be like, Pop, I want to go. He'd be like, well, let me share something with you. Or let me tell you a story. And I'd be like, Pop, I just want to go to Burger King. 
And oftentimes I'd think to myself as he was sharing something with me, this really doesn't apply to me, Pop. I'm 14 years old. But now that I've grown just a little bit wiser, I see so much value and wish that I had more opportunity to hear my grandfather tell me a story, to hear my grandfather share something with me. And I love this about my grandpa, but he often answers the phone with this line. Zeke, tell me the story. Give me the full report, right? Give me the full report. And as I was thinking about this and that question, I feel like that question is a vital question that each of us should have in our arsenal for the generation ahead of us. Hey, would you tell me your story? Hey, would you tell me the full report? How did you get where you're at today? It would be wild to believe that the next generation could carry the mantle from the generation ahead of them without knowing what they've had to walk through to get there. Because the next generation will have to face the same battles that you did too. And so who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? Well, the answer is you, me, and us. Psalm 145.4 says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. And when it says each generation, it means every generation. No one is exempt from this. This brings me to my first point. And in just a minute, we're going to be in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 31. But before we get there, I want to preface it. And my first point is this. God is a generational God. Last week, we talked about Abraham, right? In Genesis 12, God said, go and I will show you the land that I want you to go to. And he says, I will bless you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham, without a lot, of reference, believed God. He had the faith to believe God. And he's known as the father of the faith. Romans 4 puts it this way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not because of what he did, but because of how he believed. God counted him as righteous. Well, Abraham eventually has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. And they have two sons named Jacob and Esau. And I don't have time to get into all this because this is a whole other message for itself. But Jacob steals his brother's birthright as the firstborn son. And so what he receives from his father is the blessing as the firstborn son. And so what this did is it put Jacob and Esau at odds with each other. Well, Jacob, he grew up, and what's powerful to note to think about 
is that all three of these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all alive at the same time at some point in their life. And Jacob grows up and, and God speaks to him in Genesis 31, verse three. It says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and your grandfather and to your relatives there and I will be with you. So on this journey, as God speaks to him, he has to pass through some territory where his brother resides. And so he's afraid, he's a little weary about how his brother is going to respond and so he decides to come up with a strategy. Let me send some gifts ahead, let me try to win his favor. Let me kind of split up my family as he's grown in wealth and, and, and experience and knowledge, he's, he's grown. And so he's like, let me try to figure this out. And this brings him to a river known as the Jabbok River. And he's gonna be camping for the night. And we pick up in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 31. And it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. There's two big things that I want to digest from this, and it leads me to and the next two points. And the second point is this, the choice is yours. You see, we can see faith lived out in our family, but ultimately we have to make a decision for ourselves to choose Jesus. I know for me, as I shared with you guys, I was a pastor's kid. I was at church all the time. Right, somebody said same. You feel me, okay? But what I had the opportunity to do is to learn a love for Jesus. But I believe there's a difference in love for Jesus and being surrendered to the will of God. And so when I was 19 years old, my parents dropped me off at college here in the great state of Texas. Everything's better in Texas, amen? At least I've found that, all right? They dropped me off at college, it was actually my birthday, my real birthday, uh, and I call that my, my spiritual birthday in this sense. But I remember having an encounter with God that changed my life forever. And I sat down on my dorm room floor, my roommate wasn't there yet, I didn't even have all my stuff unpacked or organized, and if, if you know me, I like stuff organized, so that was hard. And I sat down and I opened my Bible and I felt like God just spoke these words to me. Your faith is your own. You have to choose it. Your faith is your own. You have to choose it. And so from that day, 
I made a decision, God, I surrender to whatever it is that you ask me to do in my life. I give it to you. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I wish you would show me. (laughs) But I trust you. And for Jacob, although he had grown up with his grandfather Abraham being the father of faith, with his dad Isaac being a man of faith, he still had to come to this place in which the Jabbok River uh, can be translated or, or mean the place of breaking. He still had to come to this place of breaking for himself where he said, God, I surrender to you. And with that, what God did is he spoke identity over Jacob. He said, you are Israel, in which the 12 tribes of Israel would be birthed, in which we'd find the lineage of Jesus. Do you think that Jacob had that in his scope? Absolutely not. But did God? Absolutely, he did. And with that, I think about this for us. And I think about, well, what's our part to play in faith? And it's to make a decision for ourselves. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature. How many of you are thankful that when you believe in Jesus, it's out with the old and in with the new? Come on, right? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And what I found is that this is a journey and faith is a journey of steps, right? Not of leaps, but of steps. Every day, we have the opportunity to know our creator and to become more like him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17, it says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We can see someone's life impacted by Jesus, but we are also responsible for making that decision to let him impact us for ourselves. And I don't know if there's Somebody in here or multiple people in here today who you've grown up in church, right? You might not be a pastor's kid, but you might be a church kid, or your family has strong faith. Your grandmother, your mother, your grandfather, your father. Your family has strong faith. But you're at this point today where you say, I've seen it in my family, but I don't feel like I've experienced it for myself. Could it be that you're wrestling with God when he's saying surrender? Or you might be somebody in here who is a first generation Christian. And man, that's powerful. That you don't have a frame of reference for faith in your family, but you've said, I wanna make this decision for myself. Well, I want you to know that Our God, as Ephesians 3.20 puts it, is a God of immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And he's a God who will do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Think of Peter, for example. 
He rejected Jesus, and yet he preached the first sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. Do you think that that was something that he had in mind, especially after he rejected Jesus? Absolutely not. But did God have that in mind? Absolutely, he did. It's time to choose to pursue God for yourself. It's a personal decision. This brings me to my last point, and it's more of a question for us, but it's this, where's your limp? In Genesis 32, verse 31, it says, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And so when he had this encounter with God, what actually physically happened is the way that he walked changed. And for us to overlook this from a spiritual standpoint would be a mistake. Because when we are marked by encounter with Jesus, our life should look different. The way that we walk should look different. How powerful it would be if a constant question that we got from other people is, hey, would you tell me the story behind that? I think for Jacob, as he grew older and as he had to continue to walk with the limp, I I have a feeling people asked him that question. Hey, what happened? Hey, what's the story behind that? An encounter with Jesus in our life should make our life different. I heard this before, but never trust a man without a limp. And as the band comes out to, to close, 1 John 2, 6, this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Yep. So what we say, I, I hope, should match up with how we walk. Yep. Right? Those who say they live in Jesus should walk and should live their life as Jesus did. Life is too short to not leave a legacy. It's too short to not leave a legacy. And your legacy could have a far greater impact than you could even imagine. And I wanted to close today differently uh, than I've ever closed a message before. But I wanna read two letters, okay? And And I wrote them. But the first is to a generation with a good bit of life behind them. And then the next is to a generation with a lot of life ahead. And I'll let you be the judge of where you're at in that sense. But I'm reading these from a a place of need for myself. And for, I hope, the generations that are represented in this room. But to a generation with a good bit of life behind them, I say this humbly and from a place of need myself. The next generation needs to know what you've walked through. We need to know the mantle we are picking up and having to continue to carry. Sometimes though, we need to know why we should or shouldn't do something instead of what we should or shouldn't do. We desperately need to know what's ahead. We desperately need to know the battles that we're going to face because they are inevitable. We desperately need you to be willing to invest in us 
believe in us and walk out a life that has been impacted by, by encounter with Jesus. Bear with us because we will get it wrong sometimes. We're going to plant seeds one day ourselves, but we can't do it without you and what you will deposit in us. We can pour into the generation behind us because of the well we get to drink from, from each of you. If we only knew, if I only knew what it took, we would have the chance to make the changes necessary to live a life marked by Jesus and to leave a lasting impact. And to a generation with a lot of life ahead, humble yourself. Always be willing to learn. Ask for the story behind the generations ahead of you. Listen more than you talk. I'm speaking this to myself. Seek out wisdom in decisions and actions. Recognize that there is a deep well in the generations ahead of you and be willing to drink from that well. It's absolute necessity to be who God has called you to be and to continue the legacy of a life marked by encounter with Jesus. I say it again, always be willing to learn. You do not have it all figured out. But with the help of the generations ahead, we have the opportunity to see God do far beyond what we could ever imagine. It can't be done on our own though. It can't be done by ourselves. And if you would, would you all stand with me this morning? I want to close with a, a question that we often close with here. For us to ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I'm gonna close in prayer in just a minute and our prayer team will be up here to pray with you. But I wanna encourage you, if you made a decision and, and you, you feel impressed to make a decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna pray for you. If you feel like your heart's being stirred to invest in the next generation in some way but you don't know what that looks like, we wanna pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, we wanna pray for you. We wanna partner with you, we wanna encourage you. But would we not leave this place today without asking the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a generational God and that Lord, we can have a personal relationship with you. Would you stir our hearts today? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate and open our eyes to what you're saying? Would our ears be open? Would our hearts be willing to believe? In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thanks for 
joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.